Thank you for listening to the First Love Podcast from First Presbyterian Church, Jacksonville, Illinois, for Sunday, March 8th, 2020. We are continuing the Walking with Jesus series with a sermon from Reverend Siobhan Moore entitled, Fishers of Men, after which you can enjoy the bell choir playing Pi Jesu. May God bless each and every one of you, and may you have an awesome week. The Gospel of John, the 21st chapter. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. Then they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you no fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During this morning's sermon, we have an insert in your bulletin that has some photos on it. Some are from my trip to Israel, and the really beautiful, uh, artistic-looking ones are from Jonathan's trip. He's a better photographer than I am, so I'll let you decide which ones are which. <laughs> but if you pull that out, we'll be talking about it during our sermon today. So my recent trip was 10 days long, which it turns out is not quite long enough to get over the jet lag. The first few days of the trip, I didn't sleep more than a few hours each night, which was exhausting. So the second night we were there, we stayed in a hotel in the town of Tiberias on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and I fell into bed exhausted and slept for about three hours before I was awakened by military jets flying overhead, which unfortunately is a reality of living in that part of the world. So I lie in bed for several hours, trying really hard not to wake up my roommate, I got out my Kindle, and I read many, many pages out of my guidebook about what we were going to do the next day. So I was really relieved when at 6 o'clock, the alarm finally went off, and I could get out of bed. 
We had decided to get up early that day, and we shuffled into our clothes and made some coffee in the hotel room because even the hotel restaurant was not open at six o'clock. We made our way outside, and there was a promenade running between the hotel and the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And we sat there and watched the sun come up over the sea. There were eight miles of water between where we were and the hills on the opposite, opposite shore. We watched as the sky turned purple and then pink, as the sun rose over those hills and the day began. There were V formations of birds flying overhead, and then some small motorboats went by with fishermen in them. If you look at your insert, photo number three shows this scene. Well, a few hours later, we were on a small boat of our own sailing across the waters. Our tour guide pointed to cities at, around us on the shore, and it sounded like a who's who of the New Testament. Photo number four is a panoramic picture taken from the prow of the boat. So we had boarded in Tiberias, and on the far left of your photo is the hill that shelters the town of Magdala. Think Mary Magdalene. At 11 o'clock on the photo is the city of Capernaum. This is where Jesus probably lived when he was an adult. And the misty section at the right of the photo is Bethsaida, the hometown to Peter, Andrew, and Philip. So standing on this boat, looking at the shores of the body of water, it felt like the whole Bible was right there in front of us. All of these places that we read about, you could just see them in front of you. Well, I wonder if it felt kind of like that to the disciples, too. They weren't thinking about the Bible, of course, but that everything in the world was right there around the shores of the water. The circumference of the Sea of Galilee is 33 miles all the way around. A person could walk that far if they wanted to. Jerusalem, the big city, was a daunting 80 miles from Capernaum. So in Jesus' time, most people hoped that they would travel to Jerusalem once in their lifetime. Everything you needed was right there in the fishing villages along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So imagine Peter and Andrew. They've spent the whole night fishing, bringing their boat and their night's catch to shore, it might have looked a lot like one of these photos that we have. Imagine Jesus approaching them, telling them he had a job for them, that he was going to make them fishers of people, or more poetically, fishers of men. I can see the setting in my mind clearly, having been there, and maybe you can imagine it by looking at these pictures. But it's so much harder for me to imagine a circumstance where a stranger would approach me at the end of my workday and say, leave all this. You are going to follow me and fish for men. What? Would I do that? Would you do that? Just drop your nets or your computer or your frying pan or whatever it is you're doing and just follow this person? Doesn't that sound kind of crazy? Well, if the disciples thought Jesus was crazy, the Bible doesn't tell us so. Maybe because if there was ever a person in the history of the world that you would drop everything and follow, that person would be Jesus. 
Being in the Holy Land made some parts of the Bible come into sharp focus. The geography went from this pastel-colored map in the back of my Bible to a real place with rocks and fish and water and people. But even being in the places where these stories happen could not explain the miracles that Jesus did or the pull that his presence must have had on people. But the funny thing about faith is this. Even 2,000 years later, we can read these stories and we can feel that they are real. Even in our postmodern scientific world, we acknowledge that Jesus was a real, living, breathing person and was also, somehow, the Son of God. And the funny thing about faith is that we hear about that one time when Jesus and Peter and Andrew decided to follow him, and we feel a little nudge in our own hearts. Across this distance of time and space, we want to follow Jesus too. Well, many of the gospel stories take place around the Sea of Galilee. In these stretches of land you can see in the photos, Number one, photo number one, is the view from the top of a hill. And the green field you can see between the trees is where they believe the Sermon on the Mount took place. Kind of like the design of this church building, that hill had an acoustic phenomenon where someone standing at the bottom could be heard by people all the way up the hill. Still works today. Well, Jesus must have had something really special, didn't he? He drew crowds of thousands of people when he spoke. I was wondering who does that kind of thing today. Maybe Billy Graham did, or maybe Oprah Winfrey, or maybe some rock stars. But even so, if Oprah came in here right now and asked me to follow her, to leave my family and everything I did, I would say no. But Jesus? I've never met Jesus in the flesh. But one day when I was a teenager, Jesus asked me to follow him, and I said yes. Many people here have said yes, haven't we? That's part of the reason we're here today. The disciples, Peter and Andrew and all the rest, they followed Jesus for three years. They beat a path all the way around the Sea of Galilee, walking from one side to the other and sailing on a boat back to the other side. And we know how their story ends. At the end of these three exciting whirlwind years of miracles and healing and dazzling teaching, Jesus and his crew find themselves in the city of Jerusalem. They made the long trek. Think how different that big city would have seemed to these fishermen from Galilee. Mighty Jerusalem was literally a city on a hill standing tall above the rest of the landscape. The temple dominated the other buildings. It was larger than any arena these men would have seen in any Roman town. The streets would be crowded. The food would be unfamiliar. There was no lake or sea near Jerusalem, and so no fishermen. And once there, their grand adventure of following Jesus would have come crashing to an end. 
King Herod and the Romans and the temple priests had Jesus executed. And even after the miracle of the resurrection, when the disciples knew that Jesus lived again, what were they going to do now? They couldn't stay in Jerusalem. They had no miracle-working, crowd-drawing son of God to follow around. So they went back home. They returned to their houses and to their families. By the way, we know that at least Peter is married because his mother-in-law is mentioned in the Bible. So we can assume that some of the other disciples were married too. So they went back to their jobs, to living their regular lives. It had been fun, maybe, and exciting, sometimes too exciting. And now that it was all over, it was time to get back to reality. And that's where our reading from the Gospel of John comes in. The fishermen of the group have gone back to their boats and their nets. There's quite a crew of them, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and two others. They've been out on their boat all night long and have caught nothing. And then a stranger on the shore calls out to them, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And they catch so many fish that they can't even lift the net. It looks like Jesus, the miracle worker, has returned after all. So while they're wrestling with this enormous catch, Jesus has been making them breakfast on the beach. He's been frying up some fish over the fire. The Sea of Galilee is full of a type of tilapia that they call St. Peter's fish. We ate lunch on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. We had St. Peter's fish fried whole, and you can see mine in picture number six. And this is what Jesus would have cooked for his disciples that morning. Well, a few years ago, two Israeli fishermen, they were brothers, found something mired in the mud along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. It turned out to be a fishing boat from 2,000 years ago. It was miraculously preserved by the mud. You can see it in photo number five. The boat is wooden and it's held up by metal frames underneath. Well, this is a truly unique archeological find. We can see the size and the shape of exactly the kind of boat that the New Testament talks about. This boat would have held 12 to 15 people, or apparently seven people and a whole lot of fish. Actually, did you catch this? John tells us how many fish they caught, 153. So why would the number of fish be recorded here? Our Israeli tour guide had a suggestion about this number. In Hebrew, each letter is assigned a number. So some people have deciphered numeric codes throughout the Bible, like the letters of David add up to the number 14, like 14 generations between David and Jesus. So similarly, the number 153 corresponds to the words Anai Elohim, which means I am God. Now, before you dismiss this number business, let me point out somebody else who we all know and respect who also used a number as part of his signature, Presbyterian pastor Mr. Fred Rogers. He liked to use the number 143, which to him stood for I love you. 
Not ancient Hebrew numerology, but simply because I has one letter, love has four letters, and you has three letters. So if Mr. Rogers' code was 143, Jesus's was 153. But what was Jesus really getting at? Why the giant catch of fish? Why the secret number code? Why come to Galilee and cook breakfast for these guys? Because Jesus wanted to tell them that he was not finished with them yet. It's like he's telling them, remember when you lied down these very nets and you said you would become fishers of men? That's still your job. You're not done. And they weren't. These fishermen from small town Galilee, these are the men who took the word of Jesus all over the world. One of the men on the boat that day was John. He wrote the gospel that we've been reading from. One was Peter. He became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Each of these fishermen had a part to play in the birth of the church. And we are part of this tradition still today. We have said yes to Jesus' call. Although some of us like to fish, I don't think anyone here is a professional fisherman. But we are other things. Teachers and farmers and nurses and parents. But there's time in our lives where we sometimes lose that first excitement. There's times when we fall out of love. There's times when we have to go back to reality, like the disciples did. It might be a big transition or a loss. For the disciples, it was when they went to Jerusalem and had to see Jesus die on that cross. And we've been there, tired, exhausted, angry, sad, And as much as we want to go back to the way things used to be, Jesus comes to the shores, pulling us back, calling us back, calling us to leave the things of the world behind and to follow him, calling us to take his message of love and forgiveness and spread it all over the world. Jesus has come to the lake shore today. Can you hear him calling? Join me in saying what we believe, using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
For more information about First Presbyterian Church of Jacksonville, Illinois, please call 217-245-4189. Or you can email us at office at firstpressjax.org. That's O-F-F-I-C-E-F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-J-A-X dot O-R-G. Our street address is 870 West College, Jacksonville, Illinois, zip code 62650. We have adult and children's Sunday school from 9 to 10 a.m. on Sundays with Sunday services starting at 10 a.m. There is also daycare available. Our website is www.firstpresjax.org. Please come and visit us when you're in the neighborhood. We look forward to seeing you. God bless and have a great week.